Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements in the scriptures that have made them become real to us because we believe there's a great deal of power in the scriptures, and the more real they are, the more we can apply them to our lives and draw that power out, and we need it. I'm your host, Carrie Mulstein, and I have with me, I'm so excited about our, our guest today, Dustin Simmons. Uh, I can tell you a little bit about Dustin. I first got to know him when uh, I think he was working on his master's. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, uh, he was a research assistant for um, Eric uh, Huntsman, and uh, our offices were close to each other. And I just saw this guy who was always busy and who, uh, who was obviously so good. And Eric bragged about him to no end uh, as both his abilities to research and his, his Greek and Latin abilities. Uh, and then the next thing I knew, Dustin was a teacher at the school that my my children go to, and soon he was the dean of students. Uh, he, he was teaching many of them Latin. Uh, he's also the soccer coach, and I have a daughter who uh, uh, was uh, playing soccer, who when in her time of need, he was there for her in a way that goes beyond what is expected of a teacher, a dean, or a soccer coach. I also saw that uh, when uh, some soccer players in our ward, uh, their father died, and uh, I think the first one at their house was Coach Simmons. Um, and so I can say, and all the students love him. He has a way of, uh, even though he had this uh, grading system that you start out with an F and then as you get better, you work your way to not failing. I, I think that was the Latin system. It took him a little while to get used to that, but it actually works great. Um, but uh, everyone loves him because he is smart. He is fun. I think he played professional soccer for a while as well. You'll have to tell me if, if that's right. But anyway, he's, he's smart, fun, and a good, kind person who knows his stuff. So welcome, Dustin. I, I, I appreciate that. That's a that's quite the introduction. Uh, uh, well, tell us uh, what, what I said wrong or uh, what else we should know about you or anything else. Sure. Well, um, I know you have kids at that school, so you must have a family. I've got a lot. Yeah. So I've been married for 18 years. I've got seven kids. Uh, our youngest just turned one. Uh, congratulations. Got, yeah, I've got three kids here at Mazer with me. Actually, this coming year, we'll have a, a junior, a ninth grader and a seventh grader. And that's it's been a lot of fun. I've been at Mazer here as a teacher or a dean. I'll be going into my 13th year. And it's been fun to teach other people's kids and experiment on other people's kids before <laughs> mine get there. And, and your kids were some of those experiments and they've turned out OK. Um, not because of me, probably in spite of me. But um, it's been awesome. So yeah, seven, seven children, lovely wife, went to BYU, um, got my undergrad in classics. Uh, that's actually where I met Dr. Huntsman um, in, a, in a religion class. He's a Book of Mormon professor. And uh, I asked him if I could TA first class and kind of got working with him. And then we ended up crossing a little bit. I can't remember the exact circumstances, but I think you had a question about like Roman Judea or something. Yeah. And, was working on a project and he sent me down the rabbit hole to find some footnotes and resources and uh and then yeah small world and it was just a, a, a couple years later um that i had started having your kids in in class uh and then soccer and it's been it's been awesome so i went and got my mat i stayed at byu for my master's degree in comparative studies which let me to kind of jump into uh even more greek and latin history and literature. That's really kind of my emphasis and my, my passion really is there, but it's been awesome because learning how to study ancient texts has kind of informed my reading a little bit of scriptural texts, because with the exception of Doctrine and Covenants, they're, uh, they're ancient texts. And yeah. so that's, that's been a real, 
uh, tender mercy, I think, from the Lord um, allow, and, and allowing me to take uh, the passion and thing I was interested in and then allowing it to expand my kind of spiritual uh, understanding inside of things as well. And so that's I love doing that just with, with students. That's the thing, um, whether it's sacred literature or, uh, or regular literature, secular literature, talking about the power that books can have uh, in our lives and how we can see ourselves in books and how we can see other people in books and learn from them. And uh, it's, pr it's pretty incredible what can happen when we really look at and study words and literature. Yeah. That's great. So now where, where did the soccer fit into all of that? So uh, I grew up playing soccer. Um, my dad never did. He was a football, baseball, wrestling guy, but soccer in the early eighties when I was young was kind of picking up. Yeah. So I, I played soccer all th growing up into high school. Um, I got an athletic scholarship to play soccer in California before my mission. Um, and the summer before I started college, I went and played internationally um, in Europe for a little while. And then, which came back. is where soccer is a lot bigger than yeah, it much, is here yeah, and a lot yeah, more competitive. Much bigger, much yeah. bigger, kind of opened my eyes a little bit. So and it's then, kind of the opposite of going to play basketball in Europe, right? That's, that's where you go to the smaller league it, for soccer. That's where you go to the bigger league. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, when I was, I served my mission in Italy, um, and we would often, you know, walking through parks and stuff that always have pickup basketball games. Um, and I, 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 would categorize my basketball abilities as I have a lot of enthusiasm, but very little talent when it comes to <laughs> basketball. And so they would always stop and want to play the Americans in basketball. And it, um, thinking that we were all, you know, like a Kobe Bryant uh, <laughs> or whatever, that wasn't the case, but, uh, and then played, uh, played soccer for a year before my mission, went on my mission, uh, realized when I was on my missions, some priorities kind of changed a little bit. Mm. Uh, and so when I came back, I transferred to BYU and got studying. And that was actually, I was a history major before my mission. And then all I did once I got to BYU after taking a class or two that really kind of changed my worldview, um, just kind of narrowed my focus from history to ancient history and classics and been doing it and living the dream. I knew that since I was 15, I wanted to teach and coach teach history and coach. And so now I teach kids ancient history and literature and I get to coach soccer. And now to the point where even my own kids, I'm teaching them that in school and coaching them on my own teams. And so I've been, been really, really blessed. <laughs> That's fun stuff. And Dustin has this incredible burst of speed that most of his students don't know he has until they play yeah. the faculty student game and he loves to show that burst of speed and just kind of maybe bump them a little as he uh, goes past and yeah and that's that been burst kind of, of fun speed to see. last it's starting to last shorter and shorter distances yeah. i get how that goes yeah, yeah. but anyway <laughs> <laughs> well all righty so thank you for being with us today and uh we would i, I know you have some uh, insights some things that have uh, spoken to you as someone who loves ancient texts and as you said the old testament certain in ancient text so uh what do you have for us today well, it's, you know, uh, the Old Testament, I think probably like a lot of people in the church, the Old Testament is the book of scripture that I'm like least familiar with. Yeah. Um, book of Mormon, you know, we study that a lot. Doctrine and Covenants, especially just recently, right? We've Doctrine and Covenants and things like that. And then the New Testament, obviously, um, with the life of the Savior, we spend a lot of time there, rightfully so. And in my area of academic studies, um, Greek and Latin, the New Testament is right in that 
period yeah. and you and so i'm really familiar there. that's your wheelhouse yeah but the old testament as i've i'm trying to actively branch out in the literature that i read on my own um and in my scripture reading and so it was it was fortuitous timing that the old testament was what we were studying for come follow me this year it just coincided with my own kind of personal goals and i've really enjoyed reading scripture and trying to use some of the ways that i just read regular um literature in my scriptures and i don't know how many people feel this way but sometimes i feel like when i read the scriptures i have to read them differently than how i read regular books and i read regular books differently than i read the scriptures um and so i've been trying this year as i'm reading the old testament not only to look for uh the truth that's in there um, and not only trying to understand and see how the savior fits in in the various you know types and shadows and things that are there but also just reading the story for the story and seeing what kinds of lessons i can learn and apply in my own life um coming up here we're, we're, we're just now right we're in um the, the Samuel and Saul uh, this yeah. week. And I was just kind of reading ahead. And I mentioned to you earlier, one of the stories that I really enjoy is the story of David and Jonathan. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the reason why that story resonates with me so much um, is because I had really good friends growing up, um, especially in high school. And I had, and I don't, I, I don't know if I'm the David or the Jonathan in the story. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe uh, at different times, I'm, I'm both of them. But I love the way Jonathan looks out for David mm. um, in this. And it kind of comes out of nowhere a little bit. Um, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we kind of just jump out of nowhere. We've met Jonathan before. Um, his name has popped up and he's done some things. Um, but now we get this connection with David there in verse one, partway through that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And, and I love that idea of souls being knit together. Yeah. Um, and as we go through and we kind of see a little bit of their relationship, Jonathan, and, and this is where you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding, so if Saul is the king, John, Jonathan, I guess, prince, I guess. Yeah, he's the crown prince. He's right? the heir apparent. So as we go through the story, we realize that David has been anointed at some point to become the king, Jonathan actually stands a lot to, to lose a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, if David's there, but he doesn't seem to be worried as much about the political back and forth and the drama. He just, he's friends with David. Yeah. And he wants to take, you know, and he wants to take care of David. They make a covenant. Um, in verse three, again, because he loved him as his own soul. Um, and for me, that, that, that's the thing that's so powerful. Having, there was, a, there was a time in my life when I was in high school when things were really, really hard. Um, 
just because the nature of life and also probably as a result of my own poor choices sometimes. But I had a couple of friends and one in particular, Alan, who loved me like he loved himself um, and was there for me. So whenever I read these stories of deep friendship between two people, especially between two men, um, it's just so powerful for me because I feel like maybe in, maybe nowadays we don't have, I don't know a lot of guys who have other really, really close, tight-knit friendships um, no. like that anymore. And it can be so important. I mean, especially, I think, during that age uh, that you're talking about in high school, if you have friends that, that love you and uh, are good for you, that, that's a huge difference. And if you have friends that are bad for you, it it's a disastrous difference, right? Uh, yeah. And that's, I, 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 I'm with you. It seems to me that Jonathan and David are, are uh, kindred spirits. They, they both trust in God more than man. Um, they both uh, are, are just trying to do, help Israel and do God's business and not put their own uh, uh, agendas first. And, and especially Jonathan, I mean, as you said, best thing if if Jonathan if Jonathan's going to measure things the way the world measures things best thing that could happen for Jonathan is for David to die yeah and yet yeah. he will well, do everything those, he can to keep him alive one of those many times that you know that uh, that Saul throws a javelin at him or something yeah <laughs> yeah and instead Jonathan's getting in the way and and making sure that Saul doesn't kill him uh an incredibly selfless individual yeah well, and, and I think an example of that, too, is just even in the next verse, and, and you might be able to provide some insight into this, Jonathan takes, he, he takes off his own robe yeah. and gives it to him, right, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Um, and I don't know if there's any, uh, you know, ritualistic maybe significance to this of the crown prince giving his, you know, his robe. Does that show something? But just the idea that he's willing to be, and, and publicly, right? Yeah. He's willing to publicly stand up for his friend, for David, even though, you know, as we come to find out, his dad, the king, is very much against him. Yeah. And, and he'll even get after Jonathan, like, why are you doing this? Don't you know this? David's going to prevent you from being king. Right. So, uh, and I think there is something, I mean, it, it seems to be part of this covenant ceremony, right? He makes a covenant and he strips himself of the robe, uh, and gives it to him. So that's got to have, uh, some, some Royal be part of the family, be part of who I am significance as part of this. If there, it's part of a covenant, then it's ritualistic and it has to have some significance. And it's not just his robe, it's his garments, even to his sword. And that's, that's particularly important because we've read a few chapters before this, that the Philistines will not let the Israelites work metal. Yeah. And so no one has a sword. They're fighting with their farm implements. And it says the only two people who have a sword are Jonathan and Saul. And so David doesn't have a real sword. Now they're getting to the point where they're breaking away from the Philistines enough. They can start to, to do this and get their own things. But David doesn't have a real sword. Uh, he had to use Goliath's sword to kill Goliath, and that's yeah. sitting in uh, with the priest at Nob at this point. So the fact that he gives David a sword is really pretty significant. Again, it's 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 he's he's really equating David with himself in level in society, which is something he shouldn't do if he's only thinking of himself. 
but he's recognized the kind of person David is and is inviting him into this relationship, which is exactly what God does with us. Right. I see a mirror here that God invites us into a relationship with him. Well, Christ invites us into a relationship with him and to be an heir with him to the father. Now, in this yeah. case, that father's not willing, but in our case, the father is willing. Right. Yeah. And uh, and Christ is willing to cover us with his garments and so on, as it were. Right. And so I, I think there's some fantastic symbolism in here. I really like that. I had, that's something that hadn't quite occurred to me, but I love that, that the son of the king, right, is yeah. will, is willing to cover or share his robe, his garments, and there's there's so much imagery in the scriptures about Christ's garments, right, and and, yeah. and how and how and covering and those kinds of things, and so that's a really really cool um, connection. That again, right, as 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 we go through and we look at so much of literature, the the things that are there that we can learn from and we can apply, and so. You know, there might be times when I'm David and Mm. there might or there are probably also going to be times when I'm Jonathan. Yep. We have the conversations like this with students all the time, not necessarily about this story, although we do read this story, actually, where I teach because it's so, so powerful um, and it connects with some other themes that we look at in other literature. But helping. students understand that at different points in your life, you're going, you're going to be different people, right? I mean, there, there are times, probably not as many as I would like, where I'm Nephi, but there are also times when I'm layman. And there are times when I'm like Alma. <laughs> and there are times when, you know, I'm like Zeezrom in the first part. And, and, and so we can see ourselves in these different characters and in these different stories and the more that we can, the more time we can spend, I think, with these people and with these characters, um, over time, they rub off on us, right? There, there's the kind of that, that saying that you will become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Yeah. And, uh, and I often talk about with students that that expands out, not to just the actual people that you spend time with, but with to authors and characters and people in movies and so you know it's yeah. good i think and it's important for us to take time and evaluate do i want to be like the five people that i'm associating with on my netflix shows or yeah or the, the five, five musical that artists that i'm listening to all the time right yeah. Uh, yeah. and and i think a lot of times the answer to that should probably be no uh, <laughs> yeah and so, you know, I, I, I try to spend as much of my time in, in, in deep and powerful literature as possible because I'd like to be the average of a Homer and a Virgil and a Dante and a John Milton and, you know, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that, there's something really powerful about that. And, and in some ways it ties in with uh, President Nelson saying maybe a little less time gaining, you know, all your knowledge and your information from social media and a little more time gaining it from Christ. Yeah. Right? There's someone that uh, I'd like to have be part of my average. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's ways that we can do that, right? I mean, through his words on the page, yep. by, you know, attending our meetings, going to the temple, those types of things, we can absolutely, I think, yep. make 
make make him one of our five. He should be for yeah. sure. For and sure. and and I I would also include great literature in there. There are people who have written great literature that really is designed to help you get a character that is closer to the savior. So like Tolkien comes to mind for me immediately, but uh, there are others as well. So C.S. Lewis obviously, but um, lots uh, that uh, they their literature is designed to ennoble you and there's other literature that is designed to do the opposite yeah yeah absolutely well and that's you know one of the things that's so interesting it, so my my area that i spent and i'm trying to expand right but i spent a lot of time in kind of this very narrow area um and it's interesting and it connects and one of the reasons why i love this story so much between david and jonathan is because of the connections that we have between other really strong friends, um, particularly men in this ancient uh, literature. And I don't know if, if in Egyptian literature, you, you would know, you know, if there is the same kind of thing, but in, in Greek literature, you have, for example, you have Achilles and Patroclus Mm -hmm. that are like best, like they're just really, really good friends. And they, and they, and are they cousins? Aren't they cousins? They are related. Yeah, Yeah. They're related, but they have this, but it's more than that. Yeah, absolutely. It's more than that. Right. And and you see this kind of masculine friendship between um, these two warriors and that's probably part of it. Right. I mean, there's probably something about sharing difficult and traumatic experiences that can draw people together. I mean, the most traumatic thing I have is, you know, being on a soccer team together with people. And even that creates, creates a bond, right. That that you don't have the the work and the, uh, the affliction and uh, resistance that you encounter together. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, um, Jonathan sees that a little bit with David, you know, Achilles and Patroclus have that. Um, Are there, and, and because you know, the ancient Near Eastern literature, I'm thinking actually Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Yeah, absolutely. uh, In the Gilgamesh story. Yeah. There does seem to be something really powerful about that. Are in in Egyptian literature, do they have similar kinds of, there are a couple, but it doesn't, it doesn't go quite that far. uh, Unfortunately, the the first, the couple that I'm thinking of, they end up, uh, uh, with friction some of them are more similar to the joseph and his brother's stories where there oh, okay. was a bond and then it goes wrong and sure. uh, and so on but um there are a few but not quite as as strongly as in the stories of their neighbors interesting interesting well i think it, it's it, as this story with jonathan goes i i love it's actually in verse it's towards the end of the uh in chapter 20 uh that's actually the part that you referenced earlier when when saul tells jonathan like uh, i think it's in verse 31 he's like hey what are you doing in chapter 20 um what are you doing like if you do this don't you realize that you won't be king um and he doesn't really and jonathan isn't bothered by that a whole lot and they end up kind of meeting right and they they weep together um because they're kind of being forced apart a little bit and I loved, this is actually in verse, in chapter 23, it's verse 16. It's again, after they've been apart for a while and they've, they've been able to come back together in verse 16 and Jonathan, Saul's son arose and went to David into the wood. And I love this phrase. He strengthened his hand in God. Right. Cause I think that's what, for me, when I was in that kind of a tricky spot, you know, when I was a, when I was yeah. a junior and senior in high school, 
I'll never forget what happened. I was sitting in the parking lot. I'd skipped seminary. We had an early morning seminary and I had skipped seminary. I think I went to Burger King to get breakfast or something. And, uh, and my friend pulled up next to me in the high school parking lot because he'd gone to seminary and kind of left and parked next to me in the high school parking lot. And we were just kind of chatting. And he said, Dustin, I just want you to know that I'm really worried about you. And I'm, I, I was praying about you last night. And while I was praying, I had this feeling and I, and I had this scripture come to mind. And so I want to share the scripture with you. Right? And man, for a, for a 17 year old boy, there, there were two things that hit me like, like a ton of bricks. One was that like 17, other 17 year olds were praying, right? Mm. Like that was weird to me. Yeah. It, it, we always talk about it, but you always assume it's never your friends, you know, or at least yeah. I did. Yeah. And the second thing was that he not only was he praying, but he was he was he was actively praying about me like that was so humbling. And that led to a to a several conversations that helped kind of bring me back into full activity in the church and, and develop my testimony and everything. And it was because he strengthened my hand in God. Right. Like he, he it was through my friend Alan that I developed an understanding and a witness that God cared about me. Um, cause I had up to that point, I didn't have that feeling, right. but it was through this other person. Right. And so he, he strengthened my hand in God. And so every time I see this phrase, how Jonathan strengthens, you know, David's hand in God, uh, it's just, it's so powerful to me. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good stuff. And, you know, I, I'm going to maybe just, uh, do a meta uh, talk here for our, our audience and say, I think that my uh, this audience is largely not teenagers uh, yeah. that listen to these podcasts. Yeah. Um, but you may want to think about um, asking a teenager to listen to this or listen to it with them or something along those lines, because I think this one may or or very young, you know, young adults or something like that. Uh, and of course, if they're listening now, they know why you did that. But that's OK. Um, <laughs> they uh, because it means you love them and you want to strengthen their hand in God. But uh, but also maybe you can help them to strengthen others hands in God uh, and have this kind of pay it forward kind of effect. Maybe. Uh, and I'll just uh, jump on with that, that um, I had a, a very close group of friends in high school who I also ended up being roommates with in college. And I'm still in very close contact with all of them. Yeah. Um, and we, I mean, we love to have fun. We lived life to the fullest in every sense that we could find a way to live life. And uh, yet if they had not been people who we encouraged each other to do good, I think just by nature of our age and the kinds of activities that are exciting, we would have ended up encouraging each other to do poorly and we would have done <laughs> poorly. Uh, and I don't know where I would have gone. I, I would like to think that I would have stayed strong even without those good friends, but I know I wouldn't have stayed as strong and I'm not sure I would have stayed strong, but those friends made a huge difference in my life. But part of the reason I want to share this story is because just recently, one of those friends, and I think he would uh, be okay with sharing this. If, if not, I'll edit this out. I'll ask him, but he's the, the one who uh, composes and plays the music for this podcast. Um, when we were roommates in college or freshman year, it was just like in high school and then he went on his mission, but, uh, we've learned enough now psychologically to know that there are a lot of, uh, different, uh, mental health issues that can strike us, uh, young adults, especially, uh, males, but around that, uh, 20 age, the age yeah. of 20. Absolutely. And by the time he got home from his mission, he was dealing with some 
pretty serious depressive issues. And uh, we didn't know, we could tell it, but we didn't really know much about it or what to do about it. And honestly, there were times it was hard to know what to do with him. Uh, and he would, uh, just because sometimes depression also does funny things with sleep and so on, there'd be times where he'd just kind of like disappear at night and we wouldn't see him for a couple of days or something. And yeah. it's because he was coming home and sleeping during the day when we were all gone. And then, you know, this kind of thing, but we didn't know that at the time. Um, and we honestly didn't know what to do sometimes, but he was our friend and we just stuck with him and try to be a good influence for him. And, and it took a few years and I, I, he had some hard years and I don't know what all he did or didn't do during that time. I think he did well, but I don't know, but, uh, we stuck with him and, and he, he came around, uh, you know, he's, I would guess always has some things he has to be careful of, but he just shared with us. He's, he's kind of writing his own life history now. And, uh, he just shared with us the part he wrote about those years. And he wrote about how, He'd like to record some memories for those years, but he doesn't remember very much because mm. of his depression. Yeah. But what he remembers was seeing us look at him and not know what to do with him and refuse to abandon him. And that he believes that that got him through those years and many years after that because of that. And it wasn't, I'm not like tooting my friend, me and the other guys' horns or anything. I'm just saying that's the, that's the power of, of friendship. Yeah. That we support each other in being good, even when we don't understand what's going on yeah. and we don't know how to help. We still can support each other because I didn't know how to help. I didn't know what to do with them, yeah. uh, but other than just be there. Uh, and that's often what we need. And Jonathan knew more than that. Jonathan, he knew a number of things that he could do and he did them. Um, but to some degree, it was the being there that made the difference. And, and so I hope that, uh, we can do that for young adults. I hope we can do that for teenagers, that we will just be that support that uh, each other needs, that sometimes it's a team. Uh, sometimes it's the youth in your ward. Uh, sometimes it's just friends, but uh, just being there to strengthen each other's hand in God is a powerful image. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's a powerful story. And, and I think those when we look, not just in scripture, but when you look throughout, so, some of the greatest literature is talks about that power, right? That, that power that comes from friendship. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, Tol Tolkien, there's great friendships in Tolkien. There's great friendships in yeah. some Russian literature. Yeah. Uh, there, there's great friends. And so there, there is something about that, which makes it hard, right? Especially for, for people who maybe don't feel like they have that. That's true. That, that can be, you can feel really isolated. Um, yeah. Which is and that's one of the toughest things that youth are going through uh, is that sometimes they feel like they're on the outside and everyone else is yeah. on the inside. And I can't tell you how many, how many times I have conversations with students in my office where they feel like they're the only one yeah. going through a particular thing. And, it, and, it, and in my mind, it's, it's one of the more insid insidious things that the adversary does is to isolate us Yes, and to make us and to take the idea that we are we are all special. Yes. But I'm not totally sure if we're all unique. Because the if, if the idea behind being unique is that I'm different from everybody else, but I'm different to such a degree that no one else is like me, then why would I go to literature or go to my friends or go to the scriptures? Because my situation is so different that I can't find comfort or solace there. I, I've yeah. had that feeling. We're like, well, I'm different from everybody else. 
Yeah. So I can't. And there's enough shared humanity in all of us that that's never the case. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and if the if you take that all the way to its end, right? The really dangerous and pernicious thing about that is now the savior can't connect with you because mm. if you're so if your situation is so specific to just you and no one else in some ways that what you're what we're kind of saying or feeling without realizing it is i don't even think the savior's atonement can help in this situation uh, and so right. i think it's i think it's important to be careful and realize that and some of that is natural right as we're trying to work through life and figure those yeah. things out but I think that one of the great benefits of reading is we can develop uh, empathy and understanding for people that are different than we are, for experiences that are different than we are. Because if we had to go through all of those experiences ourselves, uh, then everyone have, would have to relearn everything, mm. right? But we can we can pick things up, and so powerful. Maybe just uh, because I am. Uh, concerned. Uh, I know there's so many youth who feel like, okay, but I'm on the outside and I don't have friends. Uh, maybe I'll just throw in one other story. Sorry, I'm telling a lot of stories today. You got me going on a topic that's dear to I'm, my heart. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm the king of tangents in my classroom. Uh, so. Well, no, that's good. This is, this is dear <laughs> to my heart, but uh, my mother-in-law has told me this story a number of times. She was the young woman's president in, um, in Northern California. And she had, I think like 16 or 18 laurels or something like that. And she decided to interview all of them. And uh, every single one of them told her the same thing. They felt like it was a great group of girls. They were all nice. They were all wonderful. They just didn't understand why they were all close with each other. And they were the one on the outside. Yeah. Every single one of them felt that way. When in reality, what it meant is that they were all equally on the inside, but they, none of them would uh, in a way allow themselves to feel that mm -hmm. or believe that. And, and that's, as you said, that, that can be dangerous and, and destructive. I don't know exactly what the solution is, but if you're, you're struggling with that, I would talk with uh, parents or advisors or someone that's trusted that can help you uh, recognize that you're more on the inside than you, you understand. And you have friends that are more friends that are there for you than you understand. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Sometimes you watch, you know, in the hallways, I'll see there's kids and maybe, maybe, I mean, I've felt this way. Maybe others have, maybe some of your listeners have too, where you can be in a crowded room, but feel really lonely. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and some, and sometimes church can feel like that too. Right. Often. I mean, sometimes you can go to church and you're like, man, I don't, I don't fit the stereotypical mold. Right. And I, I joke around that I'm, I am the most like vanilla stereotypical guy you know, I mean, I've got, I met my wife in Utah County. Like we got married after a relatively short period of courtship and dating and all those kinds of things. We have seven children. We even have the big white van, right? <laughs> um, we're about as stereotypical as it gets, but I understand also that I've had those times when sitting in church or sitting in an elders quorum meeting uh, and feeling like, man, I, I don't connect with, yeah. I'm having a hard time feeling things and connecting um, and, and then I, you know, try sometimes on my own to reach out, but more often than not, it's been someone around me who reaches out and just lets me know they see me and like, and kind of like you mentioned in like with Jonathan, right. They, they strengthen my hand in God. They make me feel like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's not. And I can take a deep breath and I can kind of get back to, to what I know and what's important. Yeah. Um, and having those relationships 
which which goes to towards the end, right? When 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 Jonathan dies, how David deals. And I think this is like at the very beginning of Second Samuel, if yeah. I remember right. Yeah, they die at the very end of First Samuel. But yeah, chapter one is where David uh, learns that they're finds dead. out about it, right? Yeah. Um, and he has this kind of poetic hymn. Yeah. And one one of the things that I like that I love to do with the scriptures, especially with with uh, the Old and New Testament, is I have a couple of different translations that I'll look at. I mm. love the King James. Um, but then I'll also read other translations just to kind of see. And sometimes like they'll format it differently. Yeah. So you can tell like, oh, this is poetry or this is like a hymn or something. Right. Yeah. And it kind of helps that way. And um, maybe I'll just throw this out there for uh, my, my audience that uh, a place where you can get like a whole bunch of those. And you can even look at them side by side. Netbible.org. You can pull up like five different translations all at once for free. You don't have to go buy all of them. Right. So it's kind yeah. of nice. And things like that are so cool. Usually the translations are pretty, pretty close to a lot of things. So every now and again, yeah. you'll get kind of some nice insights, but I like how they'll format things yeah. sometimes differently because you don't always realize in the way our, our text is formatted. Oh, this is actually like a lament, right? Like he's yeah. kind of like, he's in mourning and he's, he's, he's kind of singing this, right? And yeah. the way that he talks about, it's in verse 26, he, call, he talks about Jonathan as his brother, right? Yeah. Um, Thy love to me was wonderful, right? Passing the love of women. And we could probably talk about that a little bit. But it, one of the things that occurred to me as I was just kind of reading this again recently was sometimes I like to play the what if game, mm. you know, in stories and in scripture. And it, I wondered how David's life might have been different if Jonathan hadn't died. You know, mm. what Jonathan strikes me as the type of person who, if he had been on the rooftop with David, when David saw Bathsheba, that, you know, he would have flicked him upside the head or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or, that's good. Or been a little. And so, um, and that's yeah, because you know, it's interesting. And in, uh, if one of the chapters we were in before, one of the things Jonathan says to him is that I know you're going to be king and I will be right next to you. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, he's, he's willing to be Jonathan's or David's right-hand man, as opposed to him be the king and David be his right-hand man. But yeah. I think you're absolutely right. As the right-hand man, he would have said, what are you thinking? Right. Yeah. Instead, David ends up with Joab, who is not the kind of right-hand man who says, David, what are you thinking? But yeah. Jonathan would have been, that's, that's a great, what if a game. And that, and that connects to what you're talking about earlier, right? But like with uh, the friend group that you had, yeah. right? Encouraging to, to do the right thing and, or the opposite of that. And, uh, it's just, I, I love it. And that's, it's hard to be that person, right? I mean, to be Jonathan, uh, and to be willing to say, Hey, look, I'm going to, I'm going to be happy for you. And I'm not gonna, you know, every now and again, if, uh, you know, you have a friend and they, they maybe get some recognition and you're happy for them, but you're maybe a little bit bummed that you didn't get that recognition or get you didn't get that promotion or whatever right yeah. jonathan seems to be the type of person who's just he's just excited for when david has success he's just excited and i i've got a couple of friends like alan is still like that for me we're still friends and we were roommates in college i named one of my kids after him you know like and whenever we text or whatever and he finds out cool things that are happening in my life he's just stoked yeah. for me. you know what i mean and so it's uh 
John was just such a great example, I think, of how we can stand next to people and prod them in the right direction when needed, lift them up when they've, you know, when they've fallen down, support them when they need it. Um, and it's, and it's, we maybe don't realize it because in so much of the stuff that we've looked at before this, Jonathan seems to be the one who's like the initiator maybe yeah. in a lot of this. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and here we finally, once, once Jonathan is, has been slain and we see David's lament, we see how much it meant to David. Yeah. That Jonathan was there for him. Yeah. Yeah, to me, actually, it's one of the most haunting phrases in scriptures, and partially because, ironically, it will come to be true about David, but uh, is from this lament, oh, how the mighty art fallen. And he says it a couple mm -hmm. of times in this lament, right? But you can tell when he says it. He's thinking of Saul for sure, but I think, uh, and I think he loved Saul to the end, but yeah. I think his heart is most tied up in Jonathan, who truly was mighty, mightier than Saul in many, many ways. And uh, and David recognizes the loss of this, uh, how the mighty fell when Jonathan was was taken, yeah. uh, and and it uh, you read this and you get the idea this shook David to his core. And, and is there in the in their literary tradition is this kind of a is this a common thing for to have these kind of laments? I know, like in the like in, in Greek and Latin literature, there's you know, and famously in the Iliad in book twenty three, uh, the funeral games for Patroclus. Yeah. Um, Achilles has a big you know lament. He has another one in book seventeen, right after he finds out he's died. Um, in the ancient Near East, is this kind of a a staple of of what they do? Uh, it, it's hard to know. It's certainly a staple for the the literary. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it a staple for the common man? I don't know. I suspect it probably is because I, I, I would guess that they all uh, did this. They may not, some are better at it than others, right? But, sure. uh, but we certainly see it a, a number of times. I mean, you see it in the Book of Mormon even, right? And you see it in, yeah. um, in the, a number of times in the Bible to the point where we have a book called Lamentations, but, but it's not lamenting a person, it's lamenting a people and a city. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it absolutely happens in a number of Near Eastern cultures. The difficulty is we only know about the elite by reading sure. these texts, but I suspect yeah. it was beyond the elite, but for the elite, at least, yes, for sure. It's, it's, and it makes me, it makes me wonder too, if, you know, in, a, in our day, do we, do we give voice to the same, pain in the same way with yeah. with loss right it's another great question because i've i've felt so ah, we are going on all sorts of tangents but they're all great um <laughs> uh I, so i love everything about the church and our culture and so on but i i'm also certainly able to look at it and say you know there are a couple of unfortunate elements side of side effect elements of our culture uh, one of them that I was thinking of earlier is that, uh, I mean, having a ward creates a, a social support group, which is important in life, so important in life. But there's an ironic uh, side effect from the fact that most of the time we see each other when we're in our Sunday best and on our best behavior and uh, looking like everything is fine, that we think uh, everything, this may be part of why we don't connect sometimes. Everyone else seems to be doing great. And uh, I have 
my problems? Why yeah. am I not like them? When really everybody has their problems. If I've learned anything as a bishop, I've learned everybody has their problems. Yeah. And I've certainly sat on the stand any number of times where I'm sure everyone thought, oh, look how everything is wonderful. And I'm up there with my heart breaking for stuff going on in my family, yeah, um, just absolutely. dying, dying you know, over it. Yeah, Herodotus, the Greek historian, he has this little part in, in his history where he talks about, he shares this story and he talks about how basically if everyone could come and like put their cares on a table with the option to like take and switch with other people, he basically says we would all very gladly take our own trials back. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm yeah. sure you're right. I mean, because I've, I've felt that same way where it's like, man, this person's life just seems so, but the closer we get to people and the, the more vulnerable we are, we kind of really, yeah, everybody has their stuff. And yeah. I'm grateful that the things that I'm dealing with are the things I'm dealing with. Cause I'm not sure I could handle the things that Yulsteins yeah. are dealing with or, you know, the, these other families. And yeah. so, that but but I think we can't strengthen each other's hand in God very well when we don't know what's going on with each other, right? So yeah. I, I think that's one of the unfortunate side effects. And another one is this, and it's absolutely true, and I revel in the fact that um, we know we will be together again after we die. We know we'll see each other and so on. Um, but somehow that seems to often mean we tell people it's fine and, and, and that they don't need to mourn, which yeah. is absolutely not true. Uh, and I realized this uh, plenty, but never so much as when my father died. And I realized, yeah, I know I'll see him again. And I look forward to that. You know what? I miss him right now. Yeah. I yeah. could use and him. Knowing right that I'll see him moment. again in the eternities doesn't help me right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it helps me in one way, but it doesn't help me in, in some of the ways that I need Right now. Now, I've since had experiences where I was so glad I knew he was helping family members from the other side of the veil, and I'm grateful for that. But I, still, the pain is real. And if the pain ever completely goes away, it means that I've actually lost something I don't want to lose. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that we should be able to, as faithful, believing members of the church, both rejoice in knowing that we will see them again and feel the pain of missing them right now at the same time and that those emotions can yeah. and should exist next to each other. And we should be able to support each other in feeling those emotions next Absolutely. to each other. Well, as you know, Joseph Smith talks about it's in the proving of contraries that truth is made manifest, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and you, you can hold those two things in tension at the same time. Yes. And in my experience, I've largely been spared up to this point, having, uh, you know, with death, both of my parents are around, right? My grandparents, things like that. But, and you mentioned this actually in the introduction, um, the time when death became really real for me mm. um, was about, it was about five years, it was actually just over five years ago. Yeah. Um, I was sitting in my office just after lunch and I got a text message from one of my students who was on my soccer team. And he, he texted me and said, coach, I need you to call me right now. And so I called him, which was weird right? Like yeah. normally teenagers aren't like, Hey, call me. They're just text. Yeah. And so I called him um, and he had gone home for lunch yeah. and he walked in the front door and his dad was dead in the front room. And he tried to resist it. So his dad is one of my best friends in my ward, even though he wasn't a member of the church. He's one of my yeah. best friends. He tried to resuscitate his already dead dad for a long yeah. time. It was crazy. Right. Yeah. And so like talked. And so his younger brother was still here at school. And so I, 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 I took him home. 
uh, and his and the paramedics were there. They lived just a few minutes away from the school, and the, the paramedics were there, and the the dad was still there in the in the landing. Yeah. Um, and that was when it 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 just hit me so hard that all of the the things that I believe deeply, right, and I have a strong witness of those things. That wasn't the right time to like share those. I, we just needed to sit and just let and be sad. And, um, you know, I mean, the one boy, he was a senior and the other one, I think, was a sophomore. Um, and so I, I think I was there for like four or five hours. We just kind of sat in their room and kind of chit chatted and cried and talked about other stuff or whatever. And it meant a lot to that family that you were there with them a lot. Well, and, and what was. And, and I mean, we're still in contact and I text them and check in and how they're doing. Um, but it helped me understand that sometimes those things that, that we know and that are real and that can be comforting, they're not always comforting all the time. Yeah. Right. There's a, there's a time and a place. And, and like is often mentioned, right. We need to mourn with those uh, yeah. that mourn. Um, and, and you can, in my mind, you can mourn and you can have hope for the resurrection. Those two things that seem to be opposites or contraries, they can exist at the same time. Yeah. Well, they're actually in the same scripture if we'd stop to think about it. Mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. You, oh, you do great. both, right? And, yeah. and sometimes you do it. I, I think it's not accidental that mourn is first. Sometimes you just yeah. got to mourn for a minute before there's any comforting and there will still be mourning. Yeah. And I, and I, and I love that. Right. And, and David is in the midst of this, just like he's, he's in the morning stage yeah. of this. Right. And, yeah. and that can last for a long time yeah. sometimes. And, and I yeah. think just being with people and in the, in the Iliad, one of the things, if, if I could, if it's okay with you, if I kind of switch yeah, let's do. to this other thing, I'm I love the Iliad. Um, one of the, I'll just grab it off my shelf really quick. The, this stage, cause it, it connects exactly with what we're talking about in the Iliad. Um, Achilles best friend is killed in battle largely on account of Achilles actions. Mm -hmm. And when he comes back, uh, when Achilles finally is told about Patroclus's death, that his best friend has been killed. Uh, this is in book 18 of the Iliad. It says, this is a, the Lombardo translation, but it says, a mist of black grief enveloped Achilles, and he scooped up fistfuls of sunburnt dust and poured it on his head, fouling his beautiful face. Black ash grimed his fine spun cloak, and he throws his he, and, he, and he just throws his body on the ground and lies there, and the man who had been tasked with giving him the message and this is a dangerous task, right? Because Achilles yes. is, is he's the most violent person in the Greek army, yeah. And you've got to be the guy that's that has to go tell him this bit. Like this is the definition of like don't kill the messenger, right? Yeah, yeah. But the the man who's there, his name is Antilochus. He does three things, and it's so powerful. I think it connects with what we're talking about, which is why I wanted to share it. He says, Antilochus, sobbing himself, stayed with Achilles and held his hands. He was groaning from the depths of his soul, and he held his hands for fear he would lay open his own throat with steel. 
And so the three things that he does is he sobs himself, right? He feels Achilles emotion. Mm -hmm. So he sobs and he stayed with Achilles, right? When someone is in crisis, we got to stay with them. Mm. And sometimes it's just sitting with them. I mean, there's been times in my office or in the classroom where I can tell a kid is having a hard time. And so we just pull them in and I just sit, we just sit next to each other, right? Or let them sit there while I do my work, but they just know that, hey, they're here. Yeah. And then he held his hands, right? Because uh, he was afraid that he was going to maybe do something that, that would be painful. And this might be more immediately applicable um, to your listeners who maybe, yeah, are in their, you know, maybe in their late teens or their, or their early 20s, young adulthood, but for anybody, right? When someone's in crisis, we stay with them and we make sure they don't, they don't do anything that could hurt themselves. Yeah. Right. And I, and I love that idea that Antilochus, he's, a, he's one of Achilles friends too, but he sobs, he mourns with him. He stays with him and he makes sure that Achilles doesn't do anything permanently damaging. Yeah. Right? And, I, and I think, especially with, with so, so many people that have mental health struggles um, and things that, even right there, right from ancient Greek literature, there's an example maybe of how to help people who are in that the depths of of despair or mourning or whatever. We can sob with them, we can stay with them, and we can hold their hands. That's that's powerful. But that's that's mourning with those that mourn and yeah. those that stand. I mean, that's that's true religion undefiled, right? That's that's yeah. beautiful. Absolutely. And I think that goes, I mean, that's that, and I know we kind of veered off into to the ancient Greeks, right? And that's an yeah. occupational hazard that I have. But yeah. I think well, that's but, an example. But humanity is humanity. Yeah, and I think that's an example of wherever we go, we, we can find truth. We can find true principles pretty much anywhere. And the and for me, one of the great benefits of, of being in a profession where I basically get paid to read good books and then talk about them with teenagers it's a dream job is you get to see those connections right yeah. so we we bounce around we started with jonathan and david we when we bounced over here to this other area but look they're having similar similar struggles yeah and they're 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 how, how are they dealing with them and as opposed to how are they dealing with them over here and maybe all of that stuff if it's water that i'm swimming all the time then i'm gonna get wet and it's going to change the way, hopefully, that I deal with uh, with people. I hope so. That, that's that's powerful stuff. Well, that's good stuff, Dustin. I appreciate it. I, I have the feeling we could kind of go on for a long time, but um, <laughs> uh, this is a good one. I am a hundred percent sure there are people uh, that are listening that feel alone. I'm a hundred percent sure there are people listening that know someone that feels alone and could just be with them or or whatever. Uh, yeah. And that know some youth or young adults that uh, need to know they're not alone, and, and maybe listening to this will help them know they're not alone, and uh, that uh, they can allow people to to connect with them, even though sometimes they feel disconnected. Yeah. There are people who will connect with them, uh, and uh, we just need to allow that sometimes, and and uh, we need to find it to be the right kind of people, the people who will strengthen us in the hand of God. Yeah. Too often I see when someone is struggling, uh, they find someone else who is struggling, but that person is not going to strengthen them in the hand of God. They're going to strengthen them in the hand of the, the world. 
And yeah. that's, that's self-defeating. That's not going to provide the help they need. And so I, I hope they'll, we'll connect with people that will strengthen us in the hand of God, even though sometimes that's uh, not the path of least resistance. Yeah. Uh, but I, I believe yeah. this is all find helpful. A, f- find a Jonathan, be a Jonathan. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of saying it. Find a Jonathan and be a Jonathan. Ah, that's, that's a note to end on. That's, that's powerful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dustin. I really appreciate it. And, and uh, like I said, I've seen you do this uh, for plenty of people and I'm, I'm grateful for it, but uh, hopefully it's helpful for, for many who are listening. So yeah. thank you so much and uh, keep coaching and teaching and doing all that good stuff. So we'll, we'll do thank, Thanks for having me. It's been fun to be able to talk about some of this stuff and have kind of a wide ranging uh, discussion. It's fun. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. Well, thank you. And, and we hope you'll, uh, everyone listening will find someone that uh, either you go help or that you have listened to this so that it, it helps them and that we all just go help each other. So thank you.